Introducing a podcast about artists in their own words, which is a fancy way of saying one of us reads an artist's memoir and then tells the other one about it. I'm Chris Wade. I'm Molly O'Brien. And introducing on drums, Mr. Travis Barker. Yes, Travis Barker, of course, the longest-serving and best-known drummer for beloved and hugely successful pop-punk behemoths, Blink-182, whom he drummed with from 1998 until today, Uh, and along the way, they became one of the best-known and most widely-beloved journeyman drummers of his generation. He's been drumming with Blink-182 for almost 20 years. That's That makes me feel so old. Yeah, 1998 does not feel 20 years ago. No. Molly, how do you feel about Blink-182? I love Blink-182 so much. I've come fully around to loving Blink-182. I have a more complicated history with them. They were one of the first popular bands that I really liked after my uh, initial first loves of Queen and Parliament Funkadelic. Sure. When I started listening to music recorded within the last decade, uh, they were among the first bands. But then I got kind of ashamed of my fandom of them once mm-hmm. I started hanging out with a slightly cooler crowd who were passing around the Neutral Milk Hotel CDs. <laughs> <laughs> and suddenly pop punk wasn't... That, that good, good indie pop auteurdom, yeah. yeah. They were, you know, once they were like, oh, you like Blink? Well, Here's this album the, about Anne Frank. Have you heard about the Pixies? <laughs> heard of them? Uh, so then it became a, a, a little less cool to enjoy them, but... Goddamn, did I not still bump at least three of their albums in my early brick-like 320-megabyte mm-hmm. uh, MP3 player while I mowed the lawn. Was it a Zune? In suburban Ohio. It was not a Zune, but it was something even more obscure and immemorable. Yeah, sure. Um, I love Blink-182 so much. I've loved them since I was an, a tween. My friend had the parental advisory unedited... Uh, take off your pants and jacket when we were in sixth grade and I was like oh I need to buy this and my mom made me get the edited version which there's a song on it that is literally so dirty that if you get the edited version it's just guitar until the last song Ejaculate into a song, never that, talk to her again. That's that's it. Um, I loved Blink-182. I thought that they were super punk rock, and I used to hang out on AOL chat rooms back in the early days. That's really going to date me. Uh, just trying to find out whether other people thought that Blink was punk. You had to go find the online consensus. Which is the least punk rock thing ever. You know what? I think Blink-182 is punk rock. So I want to be hanging out outside the punk clubs uh canvassing people as they come up uh will you fill out this survey about who is punk or not (laughs) that's literally what it felt like i wanted to do market research before committing fully but i was already committed i love them so much we saw them last summer Summer? yeah when they were touring uh at the barclays center at the barclays uh they were fantastic the in their first song which i forget what it was um they played for like a minute and then all of a sudden uh the word fuck was lit up in pyro back behind them in 10 foot tall flaming letters which was just the four letters f-u-c-k which is so blink 182 and after it was kind of perfect it does really hit that thing of both self-aggrandizing in a way and also 
eminently stupid. Just really dumb and, and they know immature. it's dumb. Yeah. But yet super cool at the same time. I can't help it. It's it's great. Um, and also the fact that there are things on fire near Travis Barker is actually a sign of his growth, as we'll find out once we delve into his memoir, which is called, Can I Say, Living Large, Cheating Death, and Drums, Drums, Drums. The title for this memoir really sounds like he was coming up for the name of the title as he was on the phone with his publicist. Like, what do you want to call the name of the memoir? Uh, can I say... Life lessons, hard facts learned, and drums, 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 drums something drums, like drums, that. Drums, drums, drums. We'll figure it out later, and they're writing it down. Also, it's ca- can I say? And on the book cover, uh, it's actually his chest tattoo that forms the letters. Can I like he has the words "Can I say" tattooed on his chest, and that is the book cover. They didn't add typography for this; they just used a picture of his. his oh, so that's his actual. That's tattoo. his actual tattoo. Can, can he say? Okay, I don't know if he can say. We'll, well find you out. read the book. Well, he can. Then he can. <laughs> he can. Let's talk about Travis Barker's life. Travis Barker is obviously the drummer. Blink-182 is a three-piece band. He's been in it. He replaced... We'll, we'll talk about this later, but he basically has been their drummer since 1998. Uh, and they, I don't know, man. He's got a about, lot of life he's lived. So they did about a decade run. Yes. And then... A little less than a decade. A little less than a decade. Uh, split up for a while and are now back together. Or have reformed. They've in- broken up two times. They've been, they're a little volatile, which for a band that has a song about, you know, being of the children of divorce and, you know, living in broken homes is a little stressful for our fans, I have to say. But you can actually read me writing about it on Slate.com about their last breakup as they were or rather them getting back together to do the new album they came out with uh, California. Mm-hmm. Is it just called California? California. Yeah. Uh, uh, and getting ready to do the tour that goes up with it. Uh, it was really interesting to read their talking about it because it mostly sounds like like the way you might talk about planning a, a camping retreat with your buddies. It's like, <laughs> we've got like businesses we run and some of us as kids. It's just hard to get the time to get together to do these things to tour you know arena not arenas like Mm -hmm. yeah arenas right they're arena size yeah just do a casual arena tour like just leave your life behind for a little bit when you've got you know families and wives and stuff i think this will be a running a running experience of this podcast but the idea of when the band goes from a group of guys playing music to like a corporation that they need to run yes uh, things get weird. Yeah, that happens every time. Uh, okay, let's get let's learn about our buddy Trav. Take um, us back to the very beginning. Let's do it. So Travis Landon Barker is born November fourteenth, nineteen seventy five, in Fontana, California, which is part of the Inland Empire, which I didn't know anything about, and I think I have a basic knowledge of it based on what Travis says it was like. You didn't see David Lynch's all video movie Inland Empire. I'm sorry, I didn't. What does all video movie mean? Uh, it was the first movie. He shot on video okay than film. no it has extended sequences with a fake sitcom made of people wearing bunny masks that sounds accessible it's extremely weird okay uh travis is his parents third child uh he's the uh, uh he's got one more younger brother i believe fuck it whatever um his mom runs a daycare his father is a machinist uh and a vietnam veteran and travis grows up blue collar in a relatively small town and he's a crazy kid from an early age. He describes his his youthdom. He says, basically, I was a boy. I was into skateboarding and BMX. I liked to ride my go-kart around the neighborhood and drive it into chain link f- fences. I was into throwing rocks. 
Um, <laughs> and like the, the like that's his summary of just like he's just a little like hellion. Oh uh, yeah, vehicles and rocks. Yeah. You get in your go kart, load up with some stones, and just find something to pe- peg with those stones. It just sounds like his childhood was just classic. California, late 70s, early 80s, just every type of activity with wheels you possibly could have. Yeah. You got the cul-de-sac and the cul-de-sac's your kingdom. I mean, this reminds me kind of (laughs) of my growing up where, you know, the neighbor boy would come over and be like, hey, we figured out how to open up the sewer head. You want to come explore the sewers with me? I'd be like, yeah, sure. Sounds like a fun afternoon. Travis would be like, yeah, do you want to figure out a way to like set these on fire? Yeah. Uh, so Travis, he's a little destructo boy from an early age. Uh, he receives a toy tin drum when he's a toddler and he bangs on it enough that his parents buy him a full drum set when he's four. And from this point on, his mom tells him he's going to be a rock star. He's going to be a drummer. And there's no like angst about this at all. It's there. There's just no point at which Travis is like, I didn't really know what I wanted to be when he grew up. He knew he wanted to be a drummer. He was going to be a drummer. Four is an early age to start the drums. You know who also started the drums at that age was Justin Bieber. Really? Which those, you know, two completely different career paths, obviously. Does Although they're both covered in tattoos now, so maybe they'd have they something in common. They actually are looking more and more alike. They are. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> I would like to put them side by side and do a... a Does Biebs drum? Biebs started as a drummer and the, then was a good an acoustic guitarist and singer. But that, he started as a, as a little drummer boy. That's amazing. Can we listen to some... Can you listen to, like, Justin Bieber drumming? You can. Yo, yo, Jason, this is a little stump sup. Yeah, he's a nice little, he's got a nice little rhythm section You really see a lot of the Bieber to come in that video. Yeah. So... It's there's just no question about what he's going to do when he gets older. He's clearly so naturally good at it that it just becomes life from an early age. And he has a hard time conceiving of doing anything else besides drumming professionally, which I find kind of incredible that there wasn't any hesitation on his part of what he's going to do. Also, good support by the parents. Yeah. Yeah. It takes a lot to to buy a kid a drum set at age of four and say, you're going to do this in our house for the next 14 years yeah. until you make it your profession. And we're, and we're cool with it and, you know, do it as much as possible. But yeah, no, and especially for like a machinist and a daycare operator, like the concept of your kid becoming a rock star. Uh, I think that's cool that they did that. Uh, Travis gets into his first fist fight when his friend tells him there's no Santa Claus. Sure. He has a crazy streak, uh, self-described crazy streak, and is obsessed with fire. Uh, He shares an anecdote about when he goes to Chicago to spend time uh, with some cousins, and he starts running wild. Uh, The first thing I did was toilet paper the entire neighborhood. Then I wanted to light something on fire, and there was a church next door to where we were staying. No one was around the church, so I started burning some grass and weeds that were right next to it. I used a little hairspray to get it started, but the grass was pretty dry. Pretty quickly, the church caught fire. I bolted. The church didn't burn down to the ground, but it was seriously damaged. So he just casually burns a church down in Chicago. That's some pretty good uh, light arson. What age is this at? I think he's like, uh, 10? 11 he's young he's super young he there's he's definitely not on a tight leash he's sort of allowed to do what he wishes uh he starts skateboarding so did his parents just 
send him to Chicago from California and just say for, run around? Just for fun cousin time. Just for fun cousin and, time. And a All little right, bit of arson. Travis, you're going to Chicago for a little bit. Here's some rocks, some matches, <laughs> some hair, hairspray. Say hi to your cousins for us. Here's, and some drumsticks, of course. Uh, drumsticks. Never stop drumming. Never. Yes. Make uh, sure you practice your padiddles. Practice your padiddles. He starts, uh, Travis starts skateboarding, gets obsessed with skating. He does things like write skate or die on his shoes. You know, just skate things. Yeah, just skate things. Uh, and he's also a really popular with the ladies from an early age. He carves his middle school girlfriend's name into his flesh, uh, developing an early penchant for tattoos, clearly. Sure. So these things, he's just describing what happens in his life. Like he gets good at drumming. He's good with women. And these are just like natural things that are just a part of his life. Like he he doesn't, there's no questioning them. It's just like, yeah, I'm really good with women and I'm really good at drumming and there's really nothing I can do about it. So that's just the way things are. It's funny to imagine him as somebody who seems to lack almost volition in what they do. Mm-hmm. He's like, I, I drum well yeah that's all i know he's like destined to it but there's also definitely like an internal life happening as well yeah he seems like sensitive empathetic not a total shitbag so he's a a bad boy he's a bad boy with a good heart Mm -hmm. a bad boy with a heart of gold the best kind of bad boy yes he didn't he didn't mean to burn down that church. It just kind of happened because he didn't. it was around him. He just wanted to set a little bit of fire and then said he got a lot of bit of fire. Whomst among us. We've all, I mean, we haven't all been there, but there's been times where things have maybe gotten out of hand and you wanted it to be one way and it was another. Uh, he, I mean, we didn't really set fires, but we definitely had Roman candle fights behind the elementary school. We sometimes. we set as many fires as we possibly could within the like uh, con- constraints of being relatively well behaved. Suburban teenagerdom really is about just setting as many fires as you can get away with, and sometimes you can't get away with any fires, yeah. but you've still set as many fires as you can get away with. Yeah, right. Yeah, I think that's right. He and his childhood friends do things like smoke weed together, hitchhike, and one time they see a yellow Corvette and spray paint it entirely black. And there's a little foot. So Travis uses uh, footnotes. Oh, uh, very very similar to David Foster Wallace. Foster Wallace, very Foster Wallaceian trope. Yes, he's one of uh, the proteges. Yes, yeah, aren't we all? So this footnote, he says. I believe in karma <laughs> and he's basically like he you know anything you do comes back to you and I don't think he's he tied the spray painting the yellow Corvette black to a specific event but more just in general like yeah eventually that came back to me somehow I was hoping that you were gonna say which is why when I bought that black Corvette and woke up one day and it was entirely <laughs> yellow and I would never was able to understand why <laughs> if that's only a came lot back- of spray paint too. It's a lot of spray paint, and that's a lot that's of pretty time. brutal. Although I will say that anyone, I'm not a big fan of yellow cars, so anyone who buys a yellow sports car maybe deserves it. It's just so much energy and investment. It's the kind of thing where you realize, even as a teen, you're like, oh, I've been, I've been doing this prank for six hours straight, and I'm not even enjoying it anymore. <laughs> when when does it go so far that you don't even you're not I'm even just into the pranking, pranking out of a sense of obligation, <laughs> duty, the joy of the prank has left. <laughs> Um, so all the while, all this pranking is going on. He's also 
continuing to practice drums and he's just he harps on this several times he even puts a practice like diary in his book of just like practice 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 you're never gonna get until you practice clearly he has some just inherent talent and ability as well but he starts playing with bands uh he starts playing with a punk band and he shows up at their first gig and he thinks i hope these guys are sharps skinheads against racial prejudice and not racist skinheads they're the good kind of skinheads so it's okay sure uh Two questions. Mm-hmm. What what age is he at this point? Middle school. Middle school. Yeah, young. So he's, super young. He's negotiating the racial politics of skinheaddom. Yep. And what year is this? What the, year is he born? Seventy. He's born in seventy five. So this 75? is like uh, late eighties. Yes. All right. Yeah. Uh, yes. So, and I think this is a problem that comes time and time again. Is like all you want to do is play. You just want to play in bands, and you know sometimes those bands have Nazis in them, and you just hope they don't. Yeah, from the earliest days of the punk scene, sometimes you just end up hanging out with Nazis. Yeah, uh, it's, it's bad. In seventh grade, he gets with a girl named Lorelai, and he loses his virginity. This is absurdly early. Seventh grade? Seventh grade. I feel I feel really gross about that. I, he might have been molested? She. He said she's older, but he doesn't say how much older. I think she's in high school. So this might not have been legal in California, but then again, it was the 80s. Things were crazy back then. I mean, that's extremely uncomfortable, but you gotta imagine that that at least illustrates that he's kind of a dynamo. He He's... I mean, you'll hear more about this later, but like imagine ladies being... love Travis. L-L-T-J <laughs> no, that's the J there's no J stands for his justice. <laughs> Ladies cool love J. Travis justice. Travis comma justice. Yeah, justice for Travis. Can you remember being in seventh grade and even imagine interacting <gasps> with a high schooler? Oh my! Well, I thought you were gonna say any interacting in a sexual way, and the answer to both of those, high schoolers and sexual, is just a straight up no, just an absolute no, no for me, dog. I remember hearing about this other seventh graders or eighth graders in seventh or eighth grade having sexual experiences and imagining it like it was Christopher hearing Christopher Columbus come back from across (laughs) the Atlantic and say that there was another continent out there and thinking no that's just untrue bring you know show me the spices man yes show me the spices (laughs) I'll believe you uh he described his virginity loss as she basically had to tell me no put it in here (laughs) I made a mental note a vagina felt like hot jelly Ah! (laughs) which I feel like is if you're like 13 years old that's the extent of your takeaway from sex is just the the tactile sensation of a vagina yes it must have been sheer panic yep uh Go Travis. And also, ew, Travis. Travis is, so he's close with both of his parents, um, but he's especially, he's a mama's boy, and his mother actually dies the day before he starts high school. Um, She has something called, I cannot pronounce it, Sjogren's syndrome. Uh, And it, like, you know, it's like an immune node. I don't know. I'm going to have to, like, look that up or something. Uh I didn't I mark didn't it down. Another it. semi-early childhood tragedy. Yeah, um, and her dying wish is for him to never stop playing the drums. <laughs> she basically says she's on her deathbed. And she's like, "Travis, follow your dreams," and he's like, "Okay." So that sets the tone a little bit for the rest of the book. I don't want to undercut the sweetness of it, but in a way that gives you can think of that as kind of a mental superpower mm-hmm. or a traumatic superpower for somebody. If your dying mother at age thirteen 
says never stop doing what you love that's basically going to force you to never stop doing what you love yes it's a spider-man like yeah dying wish situation where you're going to feel compelled to follow those orders in like a pavlovian way for the rest of your life but at least she wasn't like travis you need to become you need a steady job you need to become an accountant please or i'll haunt you forever travis continue drumming but get a second major (laughs) also just get a this <laughs> slowly fades away um that that's that's awful so he joins the high school marching band uh and is playing drums in there later he says that the movie drumline comes out and he's stoked because that was his life a little bit he says when you love that's, playing music you have to sacrifice being cool and that means that's funny because that movie didn't that movie come out in like 2002 or something yeah so he was like 27 yeah and he was still excited that's awesome he was he was super stoked for drumline which same i also yeah drumline rules uh i also imag- can't imagine him in any other way than covered in almost full body tattoos funny you should say that he gets his first tattoo at 16 which is bones the word bones which is his nickname because he's so skinny yep. and from then it just Checks sounds out. like a deluge of tattoos until there is no no skin left on tat on inked on inked uh and so uh, just the to talk a little bit more about the environment that he's around he's definitely like trying a little bit in school he says that he uh if he's going to get a c he's never going to try harder than that he's like average and the school he's exposed to a certain amount of gang violence in fontana uh and obviously like skinheads are a thing Mm -hmm. so and so is the kkk so it's sort of like a weird racial situation because there's also like a lot of latinos in fontana and he's kind of navigating that and in general just the environment i would say that there's more danger in it than perhaps the average person i'm gonna read an anecdote from when he first learned how to drive and was driving uh, his father's car. So he says, there's a guitar center across the street from Circuit City, so I checked out some drum equipment I couldn't afford. <laughs> yeah, like Already that just places me so hard in the exact type of space that he was living in. Yeah. I am very familiar. I mean, that's where I grew up, you just, near where there was a guitar center across from but, the Circuit between City. Between the guitar center and the Circuit City, there, there you go. Uh, I went to Circuit City, looked at the auto speakers. I couldn't afford them either, so I was pretty much window shopping, but I was having a good day anyway. It was fun to be driving around in my dad's truck instead of tooling around in my moped. I forgot that he, at this point he has a moped. Those are his wheels. I left the store, unlocked the car, and got in. As I was shutting my door, a guy opened the passenger door, got in, slammed it shut, and put a pistol to my head. Drive, motherfucker, he told me. He was an older dude reeking of alcohol. I was scared out of my mind, but I stayed cool. You want the truck, I said? Just take the truck. Drive, motherfucker. I don't want your truck, he snapped. He told me to get on the 215 freeway. I stepped on the gas and headed north. He wasn't saying anything. If I tried to talk to him, or if I even tried turning in his direction, he'd smack me in the head with his gun. Don't look at me, motherfucker, he said. He wasn't quite pistol whipping me, but he was nudging me with the barrel of his gun to keep me looking forward and driving where he told me. We drove for about 20 minutes before he told me to get off the freeway. For all I knew, he was going to take me to an empty field and shoot me. But he directed me to the sketchy apartment complex and told me to park the car. He said, don't you dare fucking move. I'm going to go here for one minute if you leave i swear to god i'm going to shoot your fucking brains out i'm not going anywhere he says i he poked me in the cheek with his gun i'll be able to see you and i'm watching you so if you try to leave i'll kill you i got it man i told him 
He scooted sideways across the seat, keeping the gun pointed at me so I wouldn't look at him. As soon as he got out of the truck, I smashed out of there so fast, tires squealing. I didn't even care if he shot at the truck. I was in survival mode, and all I knew was that I no longer had a gun pressed up against my head. My heart beating double time, I headed straight home, and it was the most awesome drive I've ever had in my life, just being glad that I had made it out alive. This is just a casual, I mean, it's not casual, but this is just Travis's life. (laughs) That's amazing that he ends that story with, and it totally ruled. It totally rocked. I mean, there's a theme here, which is that these kind of horrifying experiences make him appreciate life more yeah he it sounds like he's a real adrenaline jockey yes that is true and it, I, I can't believe this if someone held a gun to my head when i was driving a truck i would probably just piss my pants maybe he did yeah his i pants. don't think i would be able to operate the truck under those circumstances yeah no that and that's a bold move he could have died he could have totally died yeah travis brave I, you know, life before Uber. Life before It's just how you got rides. <laughs> thank God for the sharing economy, right? Yeah, thank God. That's what it's for. Uh, Travis's dad eventually tells him, okay, so this is, he graduates from high school. He's kind of like dicking around. His father tells him, you got to get a full-time job or move out. So he moves to Laguna Beach to play with one of the bands he's in called Feeble. And he works as a trash man to pay the bills because all the other guys in Feeble are also trash guys. <laughs> Why didn't they just call themselves the trash man? The trash man? man is already taken? Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Uh, so he's playing music with Feeble, having a lot of sex with random women. Uh, and he's he eats at a place called Wahoo's Fish Tacos. <laughs> yep. So this is just a sort of random anecdote. So he loves this place called Wahoo's. Before we go on, can we get a, a, a quick sense of the type yeah, of music Yeah, let's listen to Feeble. All right. I think you're going to enjoy this one. Great. I didn't realize that was a song. So that's Feeble. Great. Feeble uh, sounds awesome. a song that I've also covered live. Really? Yeah. Oh. Uh, By Tiffany. Yes. Uh, these guys... No last name necessary. No last name necessary. Uh, these guys look like total nerds. Yes. I think that... I think a lot of people, despite, you know, looking cool and having tattoos also were just total nerds this was a weird weird time for this socal fashion where the the pinnacle of punk look seems to be baggy uh surf t-shirts and uh baggy <laughs> baggy shorts yeah do yeah <laughs> do you remember uh like dickies was one of the first uh, uh brands that i was like oh i gotta have some dickies you gotta have some cool. dickies my grandfather wore dickies but <laughs> i don't think for the same reason you yeah. wanted to nope. <laughs> Uh, Roll into the pack, son. Pick up some Dickies. Hell yeah. With your Etnies skate shoes. Get a Volcom t-shirt. Billabong yeah. trucker hat. Wow. Oh, that time is coming back, though. It is. Yeah, everything, everything's new again. Uh, Feeble sounds great. Travis is clearly an incredible drummer. And one of the themes you hear. So the way this book actually works is that there's also a lot of input from other people from his life writing little paragraphs about things, kind of either corroborating stories or disagreeing with them or whatever and the the consensus from everyone he talks to from this time in his life is like everyone just wants to drum with travis all the girls want to have sex with him and all the guys want to be in bands with him because he's so good so can he I, makes everyone sound better so can i ask you something about this memoir as a work of fiction sure of work of literary fiction it doesn't sound like there's a lot of tension in it or no. <laughs> or narrative uh, uh struggle no and because 
I think this might be the theme with a lot of these memoirs is that like these people aren't not everyone is Charles Dickens and can paint a full portrait of a whole life from childhood struggle to adult struggle. <laughs> uh, I think especially since people usually seem to be writing these memoirs after the struggle has happened. That's the thing. And someday I'll form a more coherent critique of this, but the idea of memoir as a genre, it re- like a lot of these stories only make sense. And eventually we'll do just kids, which is the one that really made me think this, mm-hmm. uh, the poetic, uh, hyper praising of these times of struggle mm-hmm. only makes sense when you know that the person ends up being who they end up being as opposed to becoming a like street person yes yes or you know moving back home to Jersey or wherever Patty Smith is from yeah uh, that there but for the the grace of burning out go they yeah <laughs> and it kind of removes the the tension that I think a lot of people are, are going for. Yeah. There's not, you know, clearly the, the, the struggle, there's also drugs and alcohol and whatever, but the struggle seems to be just like, how do I play the goodest music yeah. for Travis? Like, how do I become the most rockin' drummer I could possibly be? How do I do those fills at even faster paces? <laughs> yeah. Yes. So that's, that's amazing. Uh, at this time, he hangs out a lot at a place called Wahoo's Fish Tacos. He says, I became friends with a guy who worked there, and I'd always tell the owner, whose name was Wing, if I ever get money, Wing, I'm going to open a Wahoo's Fish Tacos. Sure you are, Trav. And then the asterisk and the footnote at the bottom. Six years later, I opened two Wahoo's Fish Tacos <laughs> with Wing in the Inland Empire. I'm a 49% owner, and he runs them. It's a dream come true. I love Wahoo's to this day. <laughs> Travis is a man of his word, man. That reminds me of Izzy Stradlin wanting, dreaming about someday being able to afford both weed and, and a, crack. A big ball of crack. That's all he wants. And that's all Travis wants is to become rich enough to become an owner of or a almost owner of Wahoo's fish tacos. That yeah. sounds good, man. Yeah. I love a fish taco. We get some fish tacos. We should go to the Inland Empire and fill up on fish tacos. I assume it's still open. This at this time, Travis, this is around his 21st birthday. And he says he wasn't ever big into alcohol. But after he turns 21, he starts getting drunk more, he gets drunk one night and he tells Feeble's manager, I think I'm going to die in a plane crash. I don't know why, but I just have this fe- premonition. So it's around this time that you start hearing about Travis's idea that he's going to die in a plane crash and then his fear of flying. And this becomes absolutely a motif. I don't know if people listening to this right now, what happened to Travis, but we're going to talk more about planes. Yes. So that's one of the the symbolic through lines. Yeah. The chief symbols of the of the work. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Travis starts playing with a band called the Aquabats. He describes them as an eight man ska band whose gigs felt like a live superhero cartoon. He they wear like scuba rash guards in different bright colors to all their gigs. Travis is not psyched about the costume, but he basically plays along. He's just happy to be playing with a band that is so far the biggest band that he's ever played with. I know the Aquabats. You know the Aquabats? Yeah. So they're Mormon. They they are? (laughs) They're Mormon. That's a twist. So they don't smoke. They don't drink. They don't have tattoos. They're way different than Travis. But at the same time, game recognize game. I think Travis is into their zaniness and they're into the fact that Travis is hella good at the drums. Does Travis love fun? Travis loves fun. Okay, great. So speaking of that, he says... Wait, should we listen to some Aquabats? Yes. Like back in a 
That rules. It must be hot playing in those scuba suits he in says, California. He says that the scuba suits, uh, when they went on tour, were hard to launder and thus smelled awful. I could imagine. Blah. Uh, he said, sometimes the lead singer would spray lighter fluid on my drums without telling me. Then in the middle of the set, I'd count off a song and he'd ignite my drums. I would hit my cymbals and a fireball would explode. Suddenly, I'd be trying to play a song with my entire drum kit on fire. It was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I like that he's not like complaining that this is ruining his drumming. He's like, great. Yeah. Love to play drums that are on fire. One time a guy got into my car and pointed a gun at my head and made me drive to an unknown location. Then I sped off with under the threat of being shot at. It ruled. It was so Another great. time I tur- my bandmate turned my drums into a bomb. That was awesome. <laughs> yes. So it's definitely like different for Travis because he his, he says himself like he listens to a lot of hip hop, he's listened to metal, punk rock. So like the the ska, the cartoony ska thing is a little bit weird for him, but he's he's down for he's down for the journey. So at one he seems point, like the guy who likes to say yes, he likes to say yes. Also, by the way, that that clip you can tell when it's Travis. Like he's got a, such a unique drum sound to me. Like you can you know when it's Travis because it's good as hell. Yeah, and he does his kind of ones and threes. Uh, boom, bah, boom, boom, bah, too. Mm-hmm. As the albums go on, especially on the California album, mm-hmm. his drumming is wild. Yes. It's like doing all these breakbeat uh, type things. It's great. And it's no surprise that in between his blink gigs, he gets roped into so many hip hop drumming. Yeah. Gigs. Yeah. He can do any, and he says he can basically do any style and enjoy it. He has played country music with, at like the country music awards. He's played at the Grammys, played at the BET Awards. He can do anything. It, but is there anything about punk and these punk scenes that is drawing him specifically? Uh, is he, does he, or does he just want to play fast and hard? I think he just wants to play fast and hard and is like a reckless punk-like dude. So like the scene makes sense to him. Yeah, that makes sense. And it's also that I think that was what is available in California mm-hmm. at the time. If he was born... Uh, t- five years earlier in Seattle, would he have been a grunge drummer? Maybe? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Some of that drumming is uh, a little sludgier, but yeah. you know, he and, he and Grohl are He's that versatile. Yeah, he's a versatile dude. So this is the late 90s at this point. In 1998, the Aquabats go on tour with a bunch of bands, including Blink-182. Hey, that's the band that he's in. Yeah, that's the big band. How did it happen? Halfway through the tour, uh, Blink's drummer goes completely AWOL because he has problems at home. This guy's name is Scott Raynor. Raynor? Mm-hmm. Oh, Scott. What happened to Scott? I don't know. Travis has to learn the Blink canon in 35 minutes, 20 songs. He learns it, he runs through it in 35 minutes, gets on stage, and both Travis and, or both Tom and Mark say in the the memoir, they're like, Travis made us sound so much better. <laughs> He's like, and they like they were trying to be disrespectful about their drummer, they're just like, there's no question, like he makes us sound like a better band. So they asked him to join, and he said, I don't want to be weird about your drummer not technically being kicked out yet. Aww. Why don't you figure that out and then like let me know? What a nice, what a nice young man. Yes, yeah. Wanting to respect the previous drummer. He's definitely that seems to be a part of him is uh, like personal personal respect. What's Blink Steel at this time? So they had they put out Cheshire Cat.
which I don't think was actually called Cheshire Cat, uh, but because there's a Cheshire Cat on the album art, that's what it was called. Later, they would release an, an album that everyone thinks is self-titled, but actually Mark insists is untitled. So they've got some <laughs> Beatles-esque like weirdness with how they are titling their albums. But they did Cheshire Cat and Dude Ranch at this point. Okay, so Dude Ranch has come out. So the uh, drummer officially quits. They ask Travis to be in the band. Travis tells the Aquabats, he says, you know, no hard feelings, but this is, Blink is more my style. Just three people rocking out as hard as possible, no weird costumes. And the Aquabats had no hard feelings either uh, because the lead singer of the Aquabats eventually created the show Yo Gabba Gabba. Yeah, which was <laughs> a great show. Yes, so they're, no, they're not mad about it. I'm glad that he could parlay his penchant for dressing up in weird costumes and doing childlike high energy childlike goofs into a real media career yes exactly uh more ska bands should have become tv shows really and more tv shows should become ska, ska bands, bands. Are really like yeah exactly ska bands are like uh the, if tv shows tried to play if like sitcoms tried to play music that is very true uh, Which is why so many of them have just joke or just joke names and joke everything. Yes, yes. So Travis starts playing with Blink, and he their their prankishness is you know fits his personality well. He says one night I was doing my drum solo, busting ass and really concentrating. In the middle of the solo, I felt a hand grabbing my nuts. What the fuck? It was Tom crouched behind me, fondling me and laughing his ass off. Nobody could see him and I had to keep playing. <laughs> so this is a theme is people messing with him while he's playing the drums. I also like the idea of him meeting those guys on tour and being being like, "You guys like to play fast and hard?" Yeah. Do you like to Throw rocks at things? Yeah, yeah. we love throwing rocks at things. <laughs> Sounds good. You, you play with us. You, do you like to touch people's balls while they're playing? Yeah, yeah. get ready for that. That's basically all we do. <laughs> yeah, the and like Blink at this time was definitely super, uh, their vibes were obviously very clownish and immature and but that, that was right for the time. People liked that. That was what pop punk was all about. Well, I think that the whole pop punk thing is could be said to be a, a like reaction against the other mainstream form of alt music, alt rock, mm -hmm. which was getting harder, darker, grimmer. Mm -hmm. Like if you have something that's moving into the direction of things like Marilyn Manson mm -hmm. or, or, you know, even the, all the, the new, new metal. metal type stuff. Yeah. Like that creates a huge space for people to be like, this is just goofy and fun. We're just goofing off, man. Yeah. yeah. Tom describes the difference between him and Travis as such. He says, my perception of Travis is that there are no gray areas with him. It's either this or that, which is good because I'm totally gray area. I can find good and bad in a lot of different ways, which is philosophical, but also leaves me confused. <laughs> and I, I bring that up just to say that, A, the way Travis fits into the band is just like, he's the sort of quieter, still down to fuck shit up kind of guy. But at the same time, he can also sort of pull back from that and be in his own world and it's totally chill. And Tom is someone who thinks that aliens are real. Yeah. 
Yeah, of course. So if we're talking about gray area, Tom has definitely since launched into a totally gray area, which is conspiracy theory zone. Honestly, gray area would be a great name for a Tom DeLonge project. I'm kind of surprised that that's not what it's called. I forget what it is called. Well, he had angels and airwaves. Regardless, he's he's writing an 800 page novel about aliens and the co- like government cover up of, of aliens. Sounds great. Yeah, I can't wait to read it. it I hope it's the new Game of Thrones. Uh, <laughs> Blink-182 records Enema of the State and they totally blow up MTV charting VMA awards thrown into the pop star kiln alongside Britney Spears, Backstreet Boys, Sync. This is peak like pop pop lifestyle early 2000s. Uh, and Travis just rolls along with it. He, he appears to have no hesitation whatsoever about moving from a very scrappy punk rock world to playing the VMAs and winning a VMA. That whole band seemed to transition very easily into that, which I think is interesting and says something about the difference between punk and pop punk authenticity right yeah. i feel like pop punk is not so concerned with the idea of like being authentic or selling out they were just like yeah if we can play our dumb uh songs to thousands and thousands of people instead of six people like great well it's interesting. Sca- it's scalability right yeah, it is scalability. <laughs> it's, it's the difference between playing music that has an ideology behind it and playing mm-hmm. music that just as an aesthetic. And look, I'm not saying one is necessarily better than the other, mm-hmm. but all those early punk bands, and eventually we'll do uh, Henry Rollins and get in the mm-hmm. band. That guy definitely cares about the things. scene. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and these guys are, are. They're just happy to play. Yeah, they just want to They're just having fun. Yeah, they are having fun. So. Along with this newfound fame and success become uh, comes serious money. Travis gets he gets paid. Hell yeah! So he goes to a Cadillac dealership back at home uh, near Fontana, tries to buy a car. No one will sell it to him because he's a punk rock guy covered in tattoos and he has no credit. <laughs> so he eventually wrangled the owner of the Cadillac dealership on on the phone and he says, "Turn on MTV." I'm on it. Like, I'm on MTV. Please sell me a car. And when the guy sees that he's legit, he sells him the car. And then he says, yeah, I've bought like 12 cars from this dude since then. (laughs) And he actually has the Cadillac dealer quoted in the book being like, yeah, first, you know, Travis was just like a ghost. We didn't have any credit. We didn't know how to sell it to a car, but I trusted him and he's become a great customer. I just love that Travis Barker has a memoir that he's, he, when he's writing, he calls up his Cadillac dealer. (laughs) I mean, like, yeah, can you just write a little paragraph about me and that that first Cadillac purchasing experience. Travis loves Cadillacs. He loves Cadillacs and he loves Louis Vuitton. He's a brand. He's a brand, a brand loyalist. Yes, yes, he's a brand loyalist. Absolutely. It's also very funny to to have your punk band break through and the first buddy you make after making it big is a Cadillac, a Cadillac dealer from Fontana, California. Yeah, yeah. You got to start somewhere. At this point, Travis also starts his clothing company, which is called Famous Stars and Straps. Do you remember seeing this around when you were a young teen? I can say, unfortunately, I do not remember Famous Stars and Straps. Okay, see, this was, I was aware of I was aware of Famous, uh, and I saw it in my town's skate shop, which in Burlington, Vermont, was called B-Side, R.I.P. That's where I would buy all my cool Paul Frank uh, monkey-covered items. Yep, yep, yep. Good, good times. Uh, Famous was always super intimidating to me. Like it looked just like a lifestyle that I could not comprehend. And 
Travis explains this lifestyle, which he says he started his clothing company because he was into skateboarding, BMX, cars, tattoos, rap, metal, punk. I didn't see any clothes that reflected that mix. So he really, I mean, he starts his own aesthetic, which is kind of dope. Oh, I do know this logo. Yes, right? Yes. It's sort of like, not Baroque, but it's very maximalist. I thought it was like a football logo. No, no. (laughs) I honestly thought that this had something to do with... uh, the Atlanta Falcons, and I think that if you look at the F made out of a falcon, that is the Falcons logo, <laughs> and this logo kind with of looks a star like a piece, it, right? Yeah, <laughs> I think you could excuse me for considering yeah, that. That's okay. Uh, so when he gets his first $3,000 check from playing with Blink, his father exhorts him to not spend it all in one place. So he saves half of it and he spends the other half on a bunch of stickers that say, I love orgasms. <laughs> and he he papers Southern California with these Isle of Orgasm stickers so that's the start of his merch making and then from there he makes t-shirts belt buckles sweatshirts all that stuff he never gets permits or business papers drawn up for famous he literally just buys a studio space in Riverdale and like Blink-182 plays a free show and like they shut down the street he has no idea about how to run a business he's just like I just want to make t-shirts can I, how do I make t-shirts? Yeah. No, when you start a punk band, nobody really takes you aside and uh, tells you about LLCs. No, that's not part of the the, the starter course. So that that happens, and that's you, you sort of understand Travis as a, a multi, multilingual artist in the sense that he's, he's drumming, making the beats, but he's also making the cool shirts. Yes. You got to make the cool shirts. Well, it seems like he has a, a very clear sense of, of brand and the importance of it. He does. I think that's incredible. He's kind of like the Steve Jobs of pop punk. <laughs> <laughs> I can't think of anybody else off the top of my head who's had the kind of uh, lasting commercial success. Yeah, no. And at one, at, he starts this company and they do 100 million in sales at, at their peak, which I think is like an 07. Wow. It's freaking nuts. 100 million dollars. Okay, so Travis, he's getting success. He hangs out in the club and he hangs out in strip clubs, picking up randos. I can't even pick that many. I can't pick an individual anecdote about hooking up because he does it constantly. Every third page is just talking about meeting a girl and like getting it on in the backseat of his his Escalade or whatever. It's it's just it's like air and water for Travis is <laughs> yes, okay. is he's, that is sex. It's a free floating. Uh, substrate of sex that exists constantly everywhere around him yeah uh and it's amid this fray that he meets uh, a woman named melissa in melissa's words she contributes to the memoir she says they meet when he's young and she's extremely young (laughs) so he founds out that she's five years younger than him he doesn't realize that until they get married when they met he was 24 and she was 19 so she was just a little baby i was worried that he was going to be like 22 and she was going to be like 15 yeah Yeah, like a jerry lee lewis type of situation no not that bad Uh, she's an adult but he didn't learn her age until after after they they got married married. which maybe she lied or misled him uh because why not how are you again don't worry about it don't worry. It's fine. Like, what? It's fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Wait, what did you say? Do you want to, do you want to go do some drums? Let's watch a drum. <laughs> Let's do some drums. <laughs> so they move in together almost immediately. She drops out of college. So I think he Is there anything about her that recommends her over the other endless stream of Wyndham that women? She just seems like cool and chill. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Like, yeah. just, you know, there's this little something special and extra about her. Is Travis into partying or... Uh, 
substances at, at all. this point he drinks sometimes he's never seems to be a huge drinker but he's smoking weed at this point and then it's funny that you mentioned that so blink is super successful and they start having to fly a lot for tours travis is terrified of flying so he starts taking xanax and vicodin to get him through long international flights and then he starts taking xanax and vicodin for fun when he isn't flying at all well that's what happens when you have a bunch of xanax and vicodin yeah. laying around and so one time so i, I also do get the sense that being a touring musician at any level like it, when you're not on tour that free floating mm-hmm. partying sex life is one thing but if you're doing an international tour mm-hmm. it really is waiting around 22 hours a day and going on and doing the show and then having people transport you for another 22 hours yeah. to somewhere else. So you got to kill time and there's only so much Mad Libs you can do. Yeah. And when you just have a whole duffel bag full of Xanax and Vicodin. Make it happen. Why not? Yep. So that's happening. Um, you know, breaking news, addictive drugs are addictive. Yes. Uh, he says one time in Europe, Blink's plane takes off and he sees a plane out the window behind them falling from the sky. And he is grabbing people, telling them, I really imagine this scene like Chris and Wig and Bridesmaids, where it's like, there's a colonial woman on the wing of the plane. And everyone's <laughs> like, you're hallucinating. So they're, they're saying, no, 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 you took too many pills, you're tripping. But it really did happen. It was a plane crash that killed over 200 people. Whoa, so that's he, crazy. And he literally sees, he and Melissa see this. And then and the rest of the plane just gaslights him like that? I know, it's totally unfair. Uh on tour in the year 2000, Travis gets in a fight with a redneck that was hitting on Melissa in the parking lot of a Taco Bell. You know how these things go. I am so happy that they're on tour in 2000 at one of the heights of Blink's popularity, mm-hmm. and they're in the parking lot of a Taco Bell. Taco Bell is is above class and money. Yeah. You could be a millionaire, or you could have no money, and everyone wants Taco oh, Bell. should really get some tacos. I actually don't like fish tacos yeah. or just Taco Bell just tacos. Any tacos. I don't think fish tacos from Taco Bell would be very good. No, I haven't eaten Taco Bell since the year two thousand. Actually, probably the, this time we that go he got in that. a fight in the parking lot was when I had my last experience with Taco Bell. We got to go get that taco that's made of a chicken. Yeah, no, or we could not. Now they have chips made of chicken. They literally just cut that taco. Or, yeah, they t- they cut the taco shell into triangles and call them chips. Chicken, <laughs> but chick- they're made out of chicken. I mean, you dip them in queso. That sounds pretty good. Just because I don't eat Taco Bell doesn't mean I'm not up on the latest Taco Bell uh, releases. You got to be. Yeah. Are you on the uh, AOL Taco Bell forums? I am not. I am not currently on it. I am off those forums for the time being. For the time being. So, yeah, he gets in a fight in a Taco Bell parking lot. As one does, he breaks a couple of knuckles. He has to sit out the rest of the tour while he is convalescing. He still manages Wait, to he breaks buy the knuckles in the redneck fight in the. That's his instrument. You can't. Well, he. I mean, he clearly does not. He, I, he doesn't think before he does. He does these things. I guess it's to protect his lady. But he still, in this time, manages to buy turntables and learn how to scratch. So he's he's really like he's a he's a productive dude. He can't not make music, which I appreciate. <laughs> I'm imagining him DJing in full hand casts. Yeah. Well, there's more injuries later. We'll get to those. Okay. Uh, what else? Blink-182 starts recording their album, Take Off Your Pants and Jacket. This is an album that Travis calls more technical and darker, which I would agree with. They shoot a video for the song The Rock Show, which is a banger. Do you want to listen to it? Yeah, should we listen to some Take Off Your Pants? Yeah, let's, this let's is, pick a Take Off Your Pants. Or... Uh, this is, I think, somewhat controversially for us, both of our favorite Blink albums. Yes, and I don't think everyone would say that, but uh, it was my first. It was my fave. I love it so much. Yeah. I started 
I started with Enema of the State and enjoyed them from that. So I was actually looking forward to and anticipating. This is one of the only records I can think of ever really anticipating coming out because most of the time I wasn't really into contemporary music Mm -hmm. groups. Um, So I remember really waiting for this one and then spinning it a lot that summer. Again, mostly while mowing the lawn. Sure. (laughs) It's a prime association for this. All right. What, What do we... Okay, well, if we're both big fans, we can do Rock Show, which is the, you know, a number one hit, but let's do a deeper cut that we might recommend. Roller Coaster? Roller Coaster, Reckless Abandon? Reckless Abandon. Let's do Reckless Abandon. Them. So good. That, good. that just takes me back to like road trips and just blasting this in my disc man. Yep. You oh you had well you were a little bit older. This was I I was I had the, the childhood disc man at this point still. Baby's first disc man? Fun fact actually, the first song I ever played on my ugh, fourth generation iPod, iPod, which still feels feel weird to say instead of iPad, was Anthem Part Two from Sure. Take yeah, off you your have, pants and jacket. You have to really break in those devices when you get them. You have to do a symbolic first song. I really, it was symbolic. I remember everything about that. I was, it was 2004. I just worked all summer Did you uh, ever under a- the table to earn the money to buy, to go to Best Buy, always at, you know, Best Buy Circuit Cities. So Take Off Your Pants and Jacket comes out. They shoot a video for The Rock Show. The budget was $500,000. And Jesus in the video, they cash that that check i guess or you know quote unquote cash that check they spent fifty thousand dollars on the video itself and they handed out the rest of the money to homeless people and whoever else they saw on the street and this became the video that's amazing so that was that's a very like 20 you know 20 teens thing to do like the sort of meta video but this this was like the last time that music videos mattered for a long time honestly yeah the early 2000s what was the last important video britney spears toxic Tell me I'm wrong. That uh, was that was a, an event. That was like you know. Yeah, I know of the era that you're the talking about. The costume changes. Tyrese Gibson was on the motorcycle. She had different hair colors. It was Tyrese on that yep. motorcycle. Yep, too fast, too furious, baby. Wow. Travis gets engaged to Melissa. <laughs> Because that's definitely going to last. Here's what happens at his bachelor party a couple days before the wedding. This is a quote from um, one of his sort of, there's a lot of, it's hard for me to keep track. There's a lot of, I don't, uh, uncharitably would call them hangers on Mm -hmm. or yes men, but he's just got a squad. Travis likes to squad up. So there's a lot of people that are like surrounding him at this time. They're coming in and out of the picture. Does it, you haven't mentioned. I think you would call them friends. But you haven't mentioned a specific friend this entire time, so it sounds like the people that do come in are people that are just kind of around. Yeah, they're not other, like, if he's friends with other musicians, like, you know that they're other musicians and he, like, works with them, but if they're just bros, Mm -hmm. sort of random hanging out party bros, like, I can't keep their names straight, frankly. Yeah, sure. 
So Travis's bachelor party, he's this friend says girls that weren't even strippers came on stage and were getting naked. The strippers were getting jealous. So they started doing crazy shit. Then girls were sucking Travis's dick. Not one girl, not two girls, not 20 girls. Every woman wanted to suck his dick. Travis had the lips of at least 30 to 40 different women on his dick two days before his wedding. That That's sentence construction is unbelievable. 30 to 40 women. He's got, That's so gross, man. He's got a magnetic dick. <laughs> that is so gross. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I don't want to shame anyone for anything that they do because you do you. But that is a lot. That's a lot of lips on your dick. Again, it's like <laughs> it doesn't even seem sexual or fun at that point. It's You're, just at like, that point, it's a production. Yes. I don't know how how great that like felt. Once it gets to the point where it's clear that every woman in the room is going to try to mm-hmm. get her lips on your dick, you're just sitting there like, all right, well, let's keep it moving. There's next. No more than 30 seconds. We got to keep it on. There are a lot of people there's here. More, there's more people coming in. Oh, God. I'm, just t- like I'm tired. Move them through. Take a number. Come on. Can someone give me a drink? Yes. Thirsty. I, I can't imagine. look, guys. I can't get up. I can't move. Yeah, I can't. Yeah, someone's got to do it. Somebody bring a menu over. <laughs> Jesus, it's what like, time is it? It's like how I imagine Oprah feels at the end of Favorite Things, where people have been screaming for at least an hour, and she's just like, "You get a car, and you you get to suck my dick, and you, you get, get to suck my dick, and you get to suck my dick." Uh, it really sounds like there's a hypnotic quality to him. Yeah, he. It sounds like he's just woman, woman candy, woman catnip. Woman, woman nip. Woman nip. Gal nip. Gal nip. He says that he feels like he's making a mistake even when he walks down the aisle toward Melissa, <laughs> it's and like he the gets fifteenth girl is sucking his dick, and there's twenty five more lined up, and he's like, maybe this maybe isn't the right idea. idea. <laughs> yeah, I'll sleep on it. I'll see how I feel tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he gets divorced about a year later. Melissa's quoted in the book. She's basically like, yeah. Uh, that was an interesting formative experience. No sure. hard feelings. Not not a lot of hard feelings about Travis at this point. I mean, she's married to one of the most famous drummers on the planet and divorced from him by the time she's 21. Yeah. So that's like, that's just nuts. That's nuts. Uh, at this point, Tim Armstrong from Rancid calls Travis up and he says he wants to start a band with him and his other bandmate, Rob Aston, who they call Skinhead Rob. Not because he's a skinhead, just he's because just they ball. feel like it. Yep. And Travis is like, hell yeah, I love Rancid. So then they become the transplants and Travis declares them instant best friends. So Travis is still in Blink-182 at this point, but now he's got transplants going on. It's around this time that Travis also quits smoking cigarettes and starts smoking weed instead. <laughs> because a great way to quit like smoking st- a thing is to smoke a different thing that's he's more pleasant. He's the rare two-pack of joints a day smoker. Literally. He's, he smokes what he calls Cocoa Puffs, which is weed mixed with cocaine, and his habit with Rob. Uh, at this point, Tim Armstrong is sober. Rob is definitely not. His habit with Rob is to smoke a bunch of blunts in the parking lot of a Japanese restaurant called Matsuhisa in I, L.A. I love that he is one of the most famous musicians on earth and still dicking around in dicking like around fast lots. food restaurant Yeah, Well, like, I'm sure Matsuhisa is nice, but like at the end of the day, you're still hotboxing your, your Escalade in a, in a Japanese restaurant parking lot. It's so some, L.A. to me. Yeah, well, sometimes those, those uh, you know, suburban dirtbag tendencies never leave you. Yeah. And he keeps he talks about this restaurant multiple times and clearly it's good or at least he gets high enough that it's delicious. It's also interesting, like definitely interesting now that he's the only one 
like branching out from Blink at this time. Yeah, uh, it, that's true. The other two really don't do that. Do we get a sense of Mark and Tom's relationship here? They're besties from way back, They're right? besties from way back, and you only get it kind of through their relationship with Travis, but it sounds like despite all of them being like goofy, funny bros, at the same time, everyone's sort of pulling into their own like lives. Yeah. So th- at a certain point, Mark and Tom both get married and have kids and become like family dudes and that affects things. And just, I think people just get older and their priorities change. Yeah. And, to- and Tom's a little out there as yeah. we all know. I think in, in degree of out there-ness, it's like, Tom's super out there. Mark is basically a normal guy. And Travis is like a little punk rock man. <laughs> yes. That's that's how I would categorize them. It's around this time that Travis meets this guy whose nickname is Lil Chris. Lil Chris is basically like, please let me work for you. I will do anything for you. I'm a huge fan. And so Chris becomes his assistant slash handler, professional handler. And he spends almost all his time with Travis and he eventually develops a pill problem very similar to Travis's. So at this point, Travis, he doesn't really say it. He keeps kind of reminding you that he's just, he's screwed up on pills basically all the time. In addition to weed and cocaine and sometimes accidentally smoking PCP. Well, as as it happens. Look, once... Who hasn't? (laughs) (laughs) Me. (laughs) Uh, Once once you're on the joints laced with cocaine, it's sometimes you just pick the one that's laced with the wrong thing. Yep. You can't help the lace sometimes. Yeah, and it's all floating on a just bed of Vicodin and Xanax. Yeah. I like that his... He's on so much of it that it just spills over onto the assistant. Yeah, it, it's a it's a sort of contagious problem well, in a Chris, way. Uh, I don't think I'm gonna have time to take my nine AM Xanax. Can you do that one for me? Just do it for me. Sure thing, boss. <laughs> That's like when Jonah Hill takes all the drugs for Russell Brand and uh, get, get him into the, the Greek. Greek. Yeah. Yeah, so Lil Chris, and I will say that Travis is the most one of the most functional addicts I've ever read about. He is on tour, he's recording, he's meeting new people. He seems to be, he's he's got his shit together despite absolutely not having his shit together chemically. I would say that the athleticism required for being a working drummer might have something to do with it. That's probably true. Okay. The big life event, Travis meets Playboy playmate Shanna Mokler, and they I, immediately fall head over heels in love, even though they also start fighting immediately. Great. Well, I mean, you know, emotions run high. Do you know what Shanna Mokler looks like? I'm Googling her right now. She's beautiful and blonde and busty in a way that kind of went out of style after, I would say, the late aughts. It's just a type that I honestly don't see that much anymore. And it's been replaced by the sort of heavy eyebrowed, large ass Kardashian like Instagram model. But she like she's just a very specific type. You look at her and you're like, yeah, that's that's freaking oh five right there. She's in the the hangover of like Anna Nicole Smith. Yes, that's absolutely right. That that sort of styling. Honestly, a lot of what dates people's looks is their eyebrows. And she's it's got really mid eyebrows, baby. Yeah, and high fashion eyebrows right now are very particular. They're, They're just like massive. thick brown line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she's she's got mid aughts eyebrows. It's fine. Mariah Carey vibes from that era. Yeah, yeah. I totally. can see it. I can see it all in there. Yep. So they meet. They fall in love. They would also be, have a would combustible it be say ass that relationship. Sorry. The, good. Would it be fair to say that the look from the um, early mid aughts is corn fed? Corn fed. Yes. Corn fed and cover girl accentuated. Sure. S- yes. 
So they're they're loving and fighting, fighting and loving. Loving and fighting, fighting and loving immediately. Early on, Shanna thinks that Travis is hitting on her friend. He leaves. She leaves the club that they're at, and Travis pays a busker a hundred dollars to walk behind her, singing "Wish You Were Here" because that's their song. <laughs> I think just the fact that it's so early and they have their song is a that's a red flag for me. <laughs> you haven't had long enough of a time to figure out what your song is, as far as I know. Yeah. Right? Yes. I mean, is that within what months? Like less, like weeks. Weeks? Yeah. There's no I, well, song. I imagine that they met that that song was playing over uh, some bar's sound speaker and them just yelling like, I love this song. I love this song. I love you. I love you. I love we this song. <laughs> Shanna says, and Shanna is quoted uh, liberally in this book as well. Shanna says, we had sex everywhere. Like we couldn't control ourselves. We would put our coats around each other at clubs. When we went to Disneyland, we were trying to fuck on rides. <laughs> Travis said they made a sex tape and somehow they both lost it and it's a miracle it never leaked. That's amazing. This is just the level of, of bonage that's happening. It's just like constant. That is shocking that that tape did not leak. That is shocking because this was at a time when every like, well, it was actually a little before late aughts, early, early uh, tweens, 2000 tweens. I don't know what you call this stuff. That's when I think peak sex tape was with like Kim Kardashian, Paris Hilton, blah, 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 blah. Well, but, it's... Uh, let me posit that I think that there was a sex tape era yes. that ran approximately from the Pamela Anderson mm-hmm. Lee sex tape mm-hmm. to uh, wasn't there one with like Tyga had a sex tape? Yeah, it's about a fifteen year uh, Peak run sex tape where uh, it was just accident like, when the never released of the person's own volition, mm-hmm. always coerced somehow. The era of the sex tape leak. Yes, which now I think if we're going to get into another era, it's going to be voluntary release of sex tapes. We're well, basically I think in there. another generation or so, just everybody will have them. Their own sex tape. At least a snap <laughs> worth of them nude online. Yes. And it'll be and almost it's be fine. Maybe, you know, maybe a hundred years from now, it'll be almost like a bar mitzvah type thing where you like ceremoniously post your first nude yeah. online <laughs> to like bring yourself into the era of adulthood just because it is easier to run as a society if everybody is nude we online know, than if everyone knows what's are. under there. Yeah. And then we're all equal. It's just, like baptism, first communion, uh, confirmation, first, first nude. nude, first nude. Speaking of knowing what's under there, I still have the Shanna Mokler uh, images pulled up, and you know how it posts related searches. Mm-hmm. It's not Shanna Mokler Playboy. It's not Shanna Mokler Nude. It's not Shanna Mokler Hot. The first one that, will co- that comes up is Shanna Mokler Without Clothes, which seems like the most Baroque way to That's type to see her. That's very proper, yes. Without Clothes. Song, I, sans clothes, please. May I see that Playboy model uh, fully disrobed? <laughs> thank you, thank you. <laughs> Okay, so yeah, he's drunk in love with with Shanna at this point. Blink-182 records... What do you think the Disney ride that is most possible to have sex on is? The... It's a small world after all. Yeah, But that's also the least horny-inducing ride. In a future bonus episode, we'll rank Disney rides by (laughs) their relative eroticism. Yeah. Pirates of the Caribbean? High. High. Absolutely high. Yep. Yep. A small small world might be not not so good. Big Thunder Mountain Railroad has the name that most sounds like sex. I would also, but I don't think that it would be the best. To I would also on. say Splash Mountain. Oh yes, <laughs> <laughs> but you probably wouldn't want to have sex on that. Also, maybe Tower of Terror. <laughs> <laughs> they don't have that anymore. They closed it. Oh god. They turned it into a Guardians of the Galaxy ride. Oh, that's such bullshit. That's awful. 
Blink-182 records what their self-titled their self-titled album although Mark insists that it is an untitled album that is called Blink-182 whatever Travis recounts this time as a good time in my life I was smoking just enough weed and taking just enough pills I was playing just enough drums and working out just enough that sounds nice peak Travis then Shannon gets pregnant Accidentally, obviously. Right. Uh, Travis starts running more, boxing, getting into really good shape. He's ready to be a dad. Was this in the era when they had a reality show too? Yes. Coming up. Coming up. Okay. Uh, not quite yet. The I don't. <laughs> He's. I like the physical training to dad. Yes. The dad is not just a state of mind. It is a physical fitness threshold but the fact that he's writing about managing that substance intake it's i think means sign. that it's untenable yes like once you you're you're in the mental space of being like the balance is right mm-hmm. yeah. it's not it's not actually right yeah so at the same time that he's in in dad zone he's doing stuff like smuggling weed into bahrain for a uso tour and finding out that they have extremely strict drug laws as in they can execute you for possession yeah that seems like something you could die for yeah so he wonder had, if travis barker was murdered by Bahrain for weed smuggling. This Then this memoir would be a lot different. Also, it wouldn't exist. These USO tours involve some flights that totally exacerbated Travis's fear of flying. Uh, it just sounds like there were like weird takeoffs, weird landings, like you're landing on these crazy flight, uh, whatever you call it, when you land a plane on a big thing, aircraft carrier. Yeah, the thing that, that carries, carries the aircraft. The aircraft. <laughs> So like that's that's not helpful. He comes back to the states. Blink goes on tour with No Doubt and Cypress Hill. Travis hangs out with Gwen Stefani and smokes weed with her and like has the time of his life because he has a little crush on Gwen Stefani. Oh, who doesn't? On the last night of his tour, he and Tom smoke before a show with Cypress Hill. And apparently, despite all of this smokage, uh, Travis has never smoked before shows, only after as like a release slash celebratory gesture. Sure. So this is the first sure, time sure, he sure. smoked before a show. And he says they get so high that it felt like everything was in slow motion. At one point, Tom turns around to Travis and says, I want to go home. <laughs> in the just, middle of the show? In the middle of the show. I just love this that like they're just playing. This is something like when you're a fan and you go to see shows, like you see what is being performed and I feel like you don't always know what is happening behind the scenes and the idea that Tom could just be turning around and he's blazed out of his mind and says to Travis I just want to go home <laughs> because Cypress Hill's weed is way too strong <laughs> yeah they're you they're used to that pre-show smoke up lifestyle yeah, that's that's their life again a Blink-182 show seems athletic for the players mm-hmm. they've got to play hard they got to play fast mm-hmm. they do a lot of songs yep yeah. And Travis at one point says that his drumming style is actually, it's not textbook good technique because he's just more exaggerated and everything. He's flinging yeah. his arms around. He's slamming the drums. like So he's, he's people have told him over and over, like, this is bad form. You're not going to be able to do this forever. And yet he's still he's been like, doing this forever. You, he still me. drums like that. Yeah. So this is, it is athletic and it's, he's playing more athletically than he should be because he thinks it's a better show for people. And he's right. I mean, he also looks wiry and sinewy and, energetic enough to power his own power plant yes <laughs> he looks like he could basically be a perpetual motion device totally travis's son is born landon which is travis's middle name um okay. he's super excited to be a dad but he's also a self-described pill-popping moron who when shanna gets a c-section he begs off some of her post-c-section percocets no. so he's i think she knows that he has a problem but like i don't think he says with pills no one can really know because it's so private. It's not like you smell anything, or you see anything. Like you can really just kind of get high yeah. in private and no one is the wiser necessarily. And it kind of, I imagine if you're on a long term pill 
uh, thing mm-hmm. <laughs> that it just kind of permanently alters your personality. Yes. You're kind of always under this big blanket of Xanax. Yeah. Yeah. That just becomes who you are. Yeah. And on tour with Blink in Australia, Travis breaks his foot in seven or eight places and tears just like all the ligaments in it when he's just trying to pull some luggage around. He like trips and falls. So it's not a drumming related injury, but he screws it up. He says the injury is called a Lisa Frank fracture. I don't know if I pronounced that correctly. A Lisa Frank fracture? A Lisa Frank fracture. Just unicorns and rainbows come spraying Spraying out out of of your foot. foot. It actually sounds awesome. Um, Elise Frank fracture, a lot of football players get them, and apparently it was a common jousting injury back in the days when people were jousting a lot. <laughs> back in the jousting times. <laughs> Those jousting days. He gets three screws put in his foot, and he finishes out the tour, and he takes more and more Vicodin to dull the pain. So he's getting more into the pills at this point. And also, he's really injury prone. Yeah. But he's also doing things, he's just doing more things to, I guess, get himself injured. Well, we should, you know, he needs to go to a sports therapist, get his workout regime right, make sure that when he's boxing, he's using the correct form, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, really make sure. When he's sure hitting he's people in the Taco Bell parking, parking lot, lot, he's yes, got the right form. form. Yeah, so not to, to screw up his knuckles. Yeah. You yeah. got to protect the moneymaker, mm-hmm. moneymakers. Mm-hmm. Which are, I guess, for a drummer, basically all your limbs. That's true. You kind of need at least three as, yeah. you know. The def, the Def Leppard rule. Yeah. That is the Def Leppard theorem of drumming. Yes. Three limbs minimum. Travis finally gets engaged to Shanna. He proposes with a 4.5 carat engagement ring from uh, Cartier that he knows that she likes because she has a picture of it in her room. What? (laughs) (laughs) Shanna, okay. It's at this point that like you're kind of seeing that Shanna's a little bit of a monster. She's a poster of a diamond in her room. Yeah, I don't really know like what that looks like, but he knew knew the right one. Do you think she was then even surprised when she saw it? She wasn't because she actually proposed too. They went, oh, where did they go? They, I think they went to Disneyland again. They're constantly at Disneyland. It's just having sex all over the place. I mean, and look, so when he engaged, he proposes, she also has a ring and proposes too. So they, she like, they kind of knew about it, which I guess is, you know, synchronous. Oh, you surprise. You got me the ring I have a picture of on my nightstand. I can't believe it. Yeah. It's so shiny in person. <laughs> shinier in person <laughs> um shortly after they're engaged so they get engaged and like they're gonna make it forever right but like they're it's volatile as is all the ki- is the kid out now the kid is out landon mm-hmm. has been born uh this when they have that reality show so we're getting there okay. shortly after their engagement she takes him to a restaurant which uh travis is like this is kind of weird like this is not her normal jam and it's Do like they weirdly get brightly the before they go in mm, yes sure yeah well travis gets stoned and i think is also extremely high on painkillers like per usual so they go into the restaurant he notices it's like very uh brightly lit and like that's kind of it's like a weird vibe and then the waiter starts making fun of him and hitting on shanna and Travis like loses his temper in very short order. He's Are getting... they punked? Did they get punked? Yeah, they yes. they got punked. <laughs> so like Travis is ready to punch the waiter in the face. Literally, he's about to be like, "You and me, let's go outside." And then Ashton Kutcher runs out and is like, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa!" They did not expect him to uh, react so strongly. And he says in here, he's like, "I wasn't pissed off so much that my wife or my future wife was getting hit on as like this guy was ruining my buzz." And he's like not okay with that, which I think like that's it's messed up. Yeah, that that is maybe in its own. I, I don't know if we'll get to a rock bottom. Actually, I think I know where the rock bottom is. There's but that's some like different getting getting bottoms. there. Yeah. So he got punked, and I then, wonder how many of these will do that will involve the the person getting punked. 
That's a good question. We should definitely keep a punked tally, a pun- a punked which count. right now is at is at one. Yes, one one punked. Travis. One one punked. What a, a, a crazy show that would just like inspire celebrities to almost do crimes. Almost do crimes, and also I don't think Ashton Kutcher expected Travis to even react that way. I think they were hoping for maybe twenty five percent of the reaction that they got. And tra- the when thinking about the cele- the level of celebrity on mm-hmm. punked. Travis Barker, that's the level of celebrity it always oh, was. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. always drummer of pretty famous bands. Yeah, right? exactly. Right. That's that's the the precise target demo of a punked prank. Any more famous and they would never even sign the releases and any less famous and you wouldn't care about them being there were on. like some notable punkteds though where the person actually like fought somebody yes there's been really there's been shit that's really close to that i'm just looking up a list of celebrities who've been subject to pranks so yeah <laughs> is uh, that a wikipedia category on punked and let me organize it by season because i'm guessing they get better so yeah in the early days rosario dawson uh jessica beal jessica alba all the jessicas andy roddick that's a that's a good one seth green nick lachey mandy moore frankie oh my Muniz, god oh my god this is such a portrait of a time jack and kelly osborne kevin richardson from back frankie Muniz. frankie Muniz had a bad punk where he got really yeah, upset because i think frankie Muniz has some like maybe some anger issues. issues and he also loves his cars yes loves his cars more than he loves anything else in life and they did something with his I car think they did something with his car you're totally right yeah uh pink ashanti but then like beyonce apparently got punked i would be Ooh, interested in wow seeing there's that. like a three-year period where that is a viable thing to happen before she where she goes from not famous enough or like in the right pocket of famous to being too famous too famous yep uh, probably right around the before she did uh, Austin Powers, yes. I would imagine that would be the time. So they have they get punked and then they get their own reality show on MTV because I guess they just you know know the producers. So that's just what happens. Mm-hmm. It's called Meet the Barkers. Travis well, does there was it. That whole there was a whole genre of reality TV that was in the Osbournes mm-hmm. was was happening. This was post Jackass, but like the Wild Boys were still doing it. Yeah, uh, yeah. This was the. I remember this as being a like specific type of height of yes. that kind of reality show where I was flipping channels and thinking, oh, Travis Barker has a reality show? We're giving too many reality shows out. Yeah. Well, for me, I was like still like a really, really, really big fan. So I was just kind of like excited. I watched a few of those, but I remember being like, Travis is pretty chill and Chan is kind of a bitch. <laughs> like, you'll see that to talk about beat the Barkers, this is when you kind of see things really start to sour between Travis and Shanna. Uh, Shanna's an aspiring actress. So she was a playmate. She was, I think like a miss, not USA, but miss America. Maybe it was the Trump owned one. I don't know. She was a pageant girl of some shape and she's an aspiring actress. And so she definitely brings a level of drama to the show that Travis doesn't appreciate. In one way, I feel like, Travis, why do the show at all? But he seems to just like kind of go along with everything. Like, yeah, he always says yes. He's a drummer. He's just keeping stuff together. He's uh, the a yes man. only thing I can remember watching that show is just a clip, uh, clips of Travis being incredibly sedate and Shanna yelling at him. Yes, and that is that's it. So Shanna starts to plan their wedding, and he says the wedding planning immediately gets completely out of control. And they meet with a wedding planner and Travis says every time he you you can see in the show. So it's funny you say that he's sedated and she's yelling because he says every time they're about to meet with a wedding planner, he gets super high. (laughs) So that's what you're seeing. Like, it just sounds like things are spiraling out of control. She wants to be famous. She's injecting drama into the show, like their family life for the sake of that. 
uh, but they they're still planning this wedding and uh, I'm going to read this from the book this story of them getting married because I had no idea that this was happening at the time and it's it's kind of unbelievable. So this is ra- rather long. We might like have to cut it down a little bit in post. Or I'll just put some dramatic music under it to Great. make it a little more. Okay. So Shanna was always shopping at this one boutique. Every time she went there, this dude would show up and try to be on TV. Finally, Shanna told the owners that he needed to cool it, but she was opinionated about it. Who the fuck is this random guy that's always here every time I'm here? It sucks, you know? It's uncomfortable. The next time Shanna was there, he broke in on her in the dressing room and started yelling at her while she was half-dressed. What the fuck, bitch? You better stop talking shit about me. I know where you motherfuckers live. I know where you're getting married. You and your old man better watch your back. I got a call from Natasha, who was working as Shanna's assistant. Natasha was crying, and I could hear Shanna crying in the background. Natasha said, I'm going to tell you something, but you got to promise not to trip. Nah, I said, you got to tell me what it is first before I decide if I'm going to trip or not. Fair, 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 fair. (laughs) That is so Travis. She broke it down, and I hung up the phone. I called the business and told them, I don't know if you guys realize what you did, but you got yourselves in a fucking mess. I told them they needed to give me the phone number for the guy that did this. Then I called him up and said, you and I need to meet up and talk. I need to meet with you face to face because what you just did is fucked up and unacceptable. Do you know where the Taco Bell is down on Sunset? That's where I like to fight. (laughs) He didn't care. He just said, yeah, motherfucker, you got a problem. It's beyond I've got a problem. I'm ready to meet up with you. I don't care how big you are or how big your crew is. Tell me where you can meet up. Then another dude got on his phone. He told me which gang he was part of and shouted, what do you want, motherfucker? gang banging on me telling me he was going to kill me this and that which at this point like travis is this is still travis is fluent in this type of behavior talking about how big your crew is like he's not this is not not this is not foreign to him i said just tell me where you want to meet up he had threatened me and my family it was on i called shannon told her stay home watch the kids lock the doors i'm not going to be home tonight i called my brother skinhead rob that's the guy from the transplants sure, sure. and told him what was up and then we went to see our friend Polly, who is in one of the gnarliest biker clubs in the world he was my boy so we got a crew together seven or eight of the scariest dudes i've ever seen in my life skinhead rob went down the line and said any of you motherfuckers aren't ready to die tonight you need to leave right now if anyone's going to be here that's not ready to die tonight it's cra- it's so crazy to imagine being one of the members of one of the biggest entertainment acts yeah. in the world and still be thinking like, okay, I'm going to go get some bikers yeah. and we're going to go down and we're going to probably go kill some guy. Like, Yeah. Yeah. We, it, uh, yeah, it's unbelievable. He says, we all got in a van. We had so much ammo and guns. We looked like a SWAT team. If the police had stopped us, I probably would have gone to jail for the rest of my life. Shannon and I were getting married in three days, so I wanted to get everything settled before then. <laughs> the last thing I wanted was, he was my- thinking in the back of his head being like, well, last time I did this, I was getting my dick sucked by 40 women. And this time I'm doing gang violence. Someday I'm going to get this pre-marriage thing. Yeah, right? yeah, someday. Uh, the last thing I wanted was my family and friends getting shot up at my wedding. So I like that he thinks that that's a thing and he's like, I'd rather have people get shot up before that. Yeah. Before the wedding. Yeah. And then we can just go through the wedding as promised. Maybe with like four or five Look, fewer bros. we put a big deposit down on the venue. We don't want to get blood all over it. Yeah. Take care of this stuff now. Get it, it out of the way. in the parking lot where yeah. you can, we can wash that, wash that shit away. Polly got on the phone. He knew one of the OGs in this gang because they had done some business together. He found out that the gang was in fact connected to this guy who had them on his payroll. So I guess this guy is the one who's <laughs> messing with Shannon in the first place. Sketchiest thing. So sketchy. We tried to meet up with them at a gas station and, <laughs> and it was a no show. It was a no show. We drove around until 4 a.m. but we never caught up with them. Either there was some miscommunication or they were ducking us. I was carrying a gun everywhere. Yeah, hey, um, I'm in the van with my guys and we're at the Sunoco on La Brea where are you guys oh 
We're in Sunoco in the Valley. Oh, man. Oh, okay, no, you. We'll come there. We no, no, we'll you. come to you. No, we'll find. We'll find you. Okay, no, you come down here. We'll stay here. No, no, no. We're gonna work. Would you just meet in the middle? Okay, fine. We're gonna meet at. <laughs> I heard the gas station in La Brea has better snacks. I need my Slim Jims so like to fuel my biker guys yeah. are just eating like the, uh, you know those Brazzini nuts yeah. like, just sitting around <laughs> just, like, just killing time this? just drinking some monsters uh, <laughs> Travis says I was carrying a gun everywhere Lil Chris and I kept visiting the shooting range I wanted to practice shooting because I thought shit was going down I love his commitment to practicing to improve his skills he's always about practice at one point he says there's no glory in practice but there's no glory without practice <laughs> So he says he has like a saying about oh, it. I get that. I see. I see how that yeah. works. Yeah, uh, I wanted to practice shooting because I thought shit was going down. Maybe we were smoking too much weed. But, <laughs> but one day, maybe <laughs> again, the mismatch of drugs to situation of like getting hyped up to go do a fight with a mm-hmm. bunch of biker guys. Just like we stoned just, on that chronic. Yeah. Uh, one day Chris and I were in the range shooting range when a whole bunch of thugs came in and were staring the two of us down we were outnumbered nine to two and we were in a shooting range with live ammunition it seemed like the easiest place to smoke somebody I figured they had followed us it turned out we were just in a bad part of town and they were staring at us because we were the only white boys in the range I was totally paranoid of course I feel like that doesn't necessarily make me feel better right (laughs) like oh god so my wedding day came and there had been no communication with these guys. Shannon and I had a nightmare before Christmas theme before the wedding, but what she didn't know that I was walking down the aisle with a gun in my suit jacket. I was strapped in my own wedding. Bikers were there in suits and half of my groomsmen were strapped. There were killers in suits that nobody had ever seen. Who are these guys, Travis? Shanna said to me. Just some of my friends who decided to come to the wedding. Don't worry about it. Don't even worry about it. And one of Shanna's buddies was in a different motorcycle club. So at my wedding, you've got these two rival bikers right next to each other and normally that would mean blood Bloodshed. Luckily, everyone was respectful and chill. It's like the Godfather. Yeah, no blood at the wedding. Yeah, you come to me on the day of me and Shanna's wedding. It's you think that fame and success would m- propel you to a less sketchy lifestyle? No, but instead. You're even more involved in the world of bikers and hired gunmen than you were when you were at your KKK high school. Yeah, and it sounds like maybe there, he's not around it all the time, but he can certainly call it in at a moment's notice when he needs it. You want some bikers? I can get you bikers. I'll get you bikers. I'll get you eight or nine people willing to die for me. At your wedding. <laughs> at your wedding. No problem, dude. Super gangster. It's amazing. He says, I took way too many pills that day, so I was pretty <laughs> out of it. Dude, if you're practicing your shooting up leading up to this wedding and then you get screwed up on pills you're not gonna shoot so good okay, so there's gonna be like a dozen guys here with guns and i know that one of shanna's friends is part of their other gang so i should probably carry a gun to this way mm-hmm. definitely gonna want to take like six or seven xanax yeah before i get down the aisle yeah that's that's the ticket i was pretty out of it i was trying to hold it together because we had about 300 people there including mark tom and my pops that's what he calls his daddy i would walk down the altar with a pistol in my jacket my son landon was running down the aisle behind me in a little suit just like mine and all i could think about was how awful it would be if anything happened to him it was the hardest night ever how had we ended up in this mess i know how you ended up in this mess you threatened a guy who threatened your girlfriend or your fiance and then all of a sudden you turned it into this massive violent thing that involved rival biker gangs what the hell yeah think back to three days ago when you were driving around with a bunch of bikers in a van at until 4 a.m yeah maybe that's when things turned i had two of my best friends watching over land in the whole night in the back of my mind i was just waiting for gunshots what a wedding yeah 
uh, you're, it's enough for your best friend is like, hey man, like I'm so glad you're here to support me on my big day. Also, can you make sure my son doesn't get shot? Oh my God. What the hell? Also, he's a skinny dude. I feel like a pistol might uh, show might, up. Might yeah, show out, show up in an outline in a suit. I also wonder. He doesn't mention bulletproof vest, but I feel like he should have. If he was at all concerned about that, maybe he should have been wearing a bulletproof vest. They three, make some nice slick ones these days. Three days might be short notice to get the tailoring done, to get it taken in, life, to get it matching. To life the is colors. not like John Wick too. Yeah, exactly. Unfortunately. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so that that's freaking crazy, and that that's just his relationship with Shannon in a nutshell is that things escalate beyond people's control well, immediately. Was it just that some guy was hassling, hassling her at like a dress shop and said, "I know where you live, and I know where you're getting married," I mean, and that is he scra- took that seriously. Which I mean, that's not nothing, I guess. But, but like, I don't know. Call the pol- maybe call the police. I the- look. I far be it for me to recommend <laughs> narking, but sure. But if you're concerned about like your kid getting killed at your wedding, like maybe consider it. Yeah. Maybe consider it. Think about it. Think about it. Okay. Holy shit, that's ridiculous. So Travis got married. <laughs> and Not... what's next in his beautiful, uh, successful rocket ship ride uh, of a life? I wish I could say that things are going to get better, but... Um, incidentally, there's still more of the book, so things are not going to get better. So this we're is the s- way books work, and also sometimes movies and television shows, too. <laughs> things get worse before they get better. Mm-hmm. So we have a second part of Travis coming out in one week from today, but that's going to do it for this week. Yeah, we're going to we're gonna take a break from the Trav Meister. We're going to... Because, frankly, I'm exhausted. <laughs> we're going to leave it at the almost red wedding of Travis Barker. <laughs> uh, and Prince, come back... Prince uh, Travis of the Inland <laughs> and come back with uh, more uh, blood and rocket fuel, blood yeah. and jet fuel. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, spoiler alert. Shit. All the stuff that he's been talking about being afraid of planes. That's not for no reason. Yeah, we just dis- we discover Travis Barker, actual prophet. <laughs> uh, but until then, uh, this is and introducing podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at and intro pod. Or send us an email at andintroducingpod at gmail.com. And our SoundCloud is soundcloud.com slash and-intro-pod. Remember to subscribe to us on iTunes. And if you do subscribe to us, which you should and will. You will. You should rate and review us as well. It really helps out find it other people finding us review us nicely yeah give us save the bad save the bad reviews to my face Mm -hmm. buster the reviews is a safe space for for us (laughs) Uh, but until then i've been chris wade i'm molly o'brien catch you next week bye